On this week's episode of Life and Lessons, I share three really important theories about productivity and getting more done. And I talk about what might just be the best night of my life. Hey, what is going on? Welcome to this episode number 88 of Life and Lessons. I'm Sean Spooner, and if you're new here, here's what you need to know. This podcast is a place where I tell the story of growing a business, of growing as a person, and of taking on some fairly unusual challenges, sometimes on my own, sometimes joined by the most interesting people I know. The only thing that's guaranteed with this podcast is that every time you press play, you're going to learn something new. And as you might be able to tell from my throat and from my voice right now, the cough is still with us. This is week number two of having a cough. Week number two of it still not being COVID. Don't worry, it's not COVID. Um, But yeah, this episode might be another one that is a struggle. Uh, If there are long pauses, if there are long breaks, it means I've had to edit out a cough because I don't want you having to sit and listen to that in your car or through earphones or wherever you are right now. But Let's start here in the exact same place I started last week with me apologizing for this episode being late. I had such good intentions this week. I was convinced that I'd be able to get this episode out on the Thursday like I have for 86 weeks in a row until last week when, of course, last week's episode came out on a Sunday. Um, And so there I was on a train yesterday at about 2 p.m. on my way into Cardiff and um, I was about to go meet my mum actually, who's in Cardiff right now. She's spending the week here just doing a tourist. And um, I was on my way to meet my mum. We had plans for the day. I just parked up my car to uh, get the train into Cardiff. Check my phone as I'm getting on the train. And I have a tweet from somebody called Callum. And I look down and the tweet says, tickets at Ticketmaster. And I'm like, wait, could this be? Because of course, yesterday was the gig that I have spoken so much about and had such little luck with getting tickets for the Ed Sheeran 10 years of plus anniversary gig at Shepherd's Bush Empire in London, um, which took place at like 7pm yesterday night. And it was 2pm and I was in Wales. And despite all of the ticketing for weeks and weeks being impossible to get hold of, can't buy them resale, they can't be transferred. You needed a specific unique code from a ballot from Ticketmaster. That ballot was massively, massively oversubscribed. It was impossible to get a ticket, right? And then it seems like early yesterday afternoon, whether there were a few tickets that weren't snapped up through the ballot, whether people had to cancel tickets because of things like COVID, I don't know. But a couple of tickets went up on Ticketmaster. Callum very kindly tweeted me, um... And I was faced with a dilemma because it was essentially the middle of the working day. I was out of the office, sure, but I was monitoring my emails and so on. I was on my way to meet my mum for plans. I was in Cardiff, the gigs in London. And Chloe, who I would have been going with, was in Kettering. Definitely not London. And I thought, fuck it, I'm just going to buy the tickets anyway. I'm going to buy these tickets and see what happens. And it all went to plan. So I called my mum. I said, look, I'm going to book you a hotel for another night here in Cardiff um, and we will do our plans tomorrow that we were going to do that day, which is what I did today, actually. Um, So I got to Cardiff Central and rather than heading down to Cardiff Bay, I got straight onto a train 10 minutes later to London 
and two and a half hours after I had parked my car in the Welsh Valleys, I was in central London with tickets on my phone for that gig and I was on my way over to Shepherd's Bush to meet Chloe. And honestly, I might have entitled the podcast this, I think it might have been the best night of my life. And I say think and I hedge because I question whether that's a bit sad that sitting in a room for a couple of hours listening to a singer is actually my most fond memory of 25 years of life. But truthfully, I think it might be. Um, And it comes down a lot to context, right? Because I'm sure there were people who read my little caption about that gig on Instagram last night or they saw my tweets and they probably just thought like, grow up, it's a gig. Like I've been to loads of gigs. Why are you crying about a gig? Um, I didn't cry, but you know what I mean? Um, But it was... It was what that gig was in as much as how long I had been waiting for that, right? So I have been an Ed Sheeran fan for like 10, 11 years, standard. Had the chance 10 years ago to go along to a very intimate event with Ed um, just before the release of that first album in Hammersmith. Got to meet him. We all sat in a room. He played uh, on a CD. So like the studio version of the album was played track by track and Ed discussed what each track was about. Um, But then I didn't actually see Ed perform live for like eight years between that album playback where he didn't play any songs and the first time I saw him live, which was in like 2018 in Swansea at Radio 1's Biggest Weekend. And so that means that every set of Ed's I've seen has been like a mix-mash, sorry, a mish-mash of um, all of the songs from all of the albums into like a kind of greatest hits all of the pop songs everyone knows right but plus has always been probably my favorite album ever from any artist period and because I couldn't afford to go to Ed gigs back then when he was touring with the album I thought I had no chance of ever seeing any songs really from that album live other than maybe a team and so when the tickets or when the show was announced I was like I definitely need to go when the tickets were allocated to other people, I was like, this is mad. What can I do? And I was trying everything, right? From Twitter searches, Reddit searches, doing like site colon searches to try and find the Ticketmaster page for it. Thinking about ways that we could like try and convince other people to let us in. Uh, even considered phoning Shepherd's Bush Empire um, box office, see if they could do anything. But there was no way in, right? And so to get those tickets like four hours before the gig went ahead a gig that I had been waiting 10 years to attend and then to just be in the fortunate position whereby I could literally drop my day and everything kept moving everything kept going so I could just dash off to London with zero minutes notice and then to sit in a room with 2,000 people who are all big Ed Sheeran fans who had all signed up to be there to hear that album and for Ed to play every single song from that album I think it was like a 16 song track list one after the other after the other in the exact uh, order that they are on that album, including at the end four songs where he stepped away from the microphone, um, unplugged his guitar, so the guitar was playing acoustically with no amplification, his voice was just echoing in this room, no amplification, and he sung four songs to 2,000 people who were in absolute silence. And I just thought, fucking hell. Like I spoke about it last week, actually, with the um, 
the Sigrid gig, like trying really hard to just be present in the moment and not be thinking about what this means to me was easier at the Sigrid thing. Because I was just like, oh, this is weird. Like my head was in this space where I was like, this is weird. There's lots of people in here. But with that Ed thing, like every now and then I was like, fucking hell. Like this is literally something I've waited 10 years for. So <laughs> that is the very long version of why this episode is late. I would say sorry, but I'll be honest. I'm not that sorry this time around. Really glad I did it. Potentially the best night of my life. And give me a second because I need to cough. <laughs> like a minute later now the magic of podcast the last minute just disappeared whilst i had a coughing fit um what else have i been up to this week it's been a really productive week in the office um i moved desks actually which is nice i have always in this particular office where we've been for about three years i've sat with my back to the window and the reason for that is because you know sometimes stuff on my screen is confidential or or shouldn't really be seen by somebody who's just walking into the office and so I sat with my back to the main room um, so that if somebody walked into the office for a meeting or whatever they can't immediately see what's on my screen over my shoulder but more and more meetings are becoming remote fewer people are coming into the office and so I thought wouldn't it be nice to put my desk in the very middle of all of the desks facing the window so I have the sunlight on me I have the view out over to like the trees and the hills and the really nice landscape that we have here where the office is in Wales so I tried it Monday morning came into the office had already set up my desk from the Sunday and it was really nice and I really like working in this new position it's such a minor thing like it took me I don't know what two minutes to change literally I unplugged my laptop from a USB-C that powers it and powers the screen on that desk over there I plugged it into this desk here, which is already set up with essentially the identical equipment to what was on the previous desk, brought my keyboard over, brought my mouse over, two minutes, and it has made such a difference just to my mood and my focus, and I don't feel like I'm sat in a dark corner of the office, and I can see all of the desks, and other than Richard, who is now directly opposite me, I can't see him, but I can see everyone else and all the other desks, and I've got the sunlight, and it was just interesting because it had me thinking, I wonder what other really small but really high yield things I could change in my life they would probably take like four minutes but that I've never changed because I've never thought to change um I don't know the answer to that yet but I reckon there's a couple so I'm going to be thinking about that these next few days there must be other little things that I've just never questioned and never changed and in doing so I'm missing out on big benefits because I just haven't thought about it um something else big this week and I noted this down because I'm amazed at how much of a difference this makes, right? So you probably know the story that this podcast came about a couple of years ago because I had more time on my hands for a month because I quit social media for 30 days. I took social media off my laptop, off my phone, all of that good stuff. And then of course I have the second phone, which I sometimes use for social media. So I offload social media apps from my main phone, use them on a second phone that isn't always with me. And so my rule has always been surrounding social media and also massively news websites, is don't use them on my phone during the day, but I can use them on my desktop, right? Because it's kind of just flicking from one tab to the other to check what people are saying on Twitter and it doesn't really distract me or looking at BBC News or whatever it might be. But I had this realization at the beginning of the week that actually that's probably the entirely wrong way to do it because if I'm already on my phone, to look at whatever it is I'm looking at, an iMessage, and then I slip onto the BBC News website, I'm already 
by the fact that I'm holding my phone and not working, I'm already in a distracted state. And it's quite a hard distracted state to get into because I need to stop whatever I'm doing on my computer, move my hands, look for where my phone is, grab it with my right hand, like swipe up, face ID, unlock it, open whatever it is that I was going to do anyway, then get pulled into the loop, right? I'm already in a distracted state at that point. Um, Whereas looking at it on my laptop, looking at social media on my laptop, looking at news websites, particularly on my laptop, I can and I do do so habitually to the point where I would say combining Twitter, Instagram, BBC News, the local newspaper in Corby and the local newspaper in Wales. If you combined all of those sites together in an average working day, I would probably visit all five of those sites combined about 50 times. And I know I talk about this book all the time. I'm actually looking at it across the room right now. Deep Work by Cal Newport. Our brains can't move from one task to the other with no friction, with no latency. It takes like a good number of minutes every time our mind switches from one task to another, from one thing we're focusing on to another, for our brain to actually get back into that flow state, for our mind to actually be properly, non-consciously focused on the thing that we're trying to do. And so allowing myself to go on news websites, social media, yes, but news websites throughout the day, sporadically, like every 42 minutes, just to see if anything had happened on my computer, the very place where it is the lowest friction way for me to distract myself anyway, it just occurred to me out of nowhere. It's the most simple realization. And yet it's one that I've never considered is fucking mental to have had that rule the other way around, right? To say, I'm not allowed to be distracted on my phone when I've already picked it up and I'm already distracted and I am by definition not in a mode of focus at that point, but I can do it mid-task in a Chrome tab when I'm working on my laptop when my phone's away. So literally just that binary switch from one way to the other, it's mental how much that's improved my focus. Like it is difficult to describe just how much more productive I have been in the hours when I have been in the office this week based on that one change um because now my phone's away i don't go on these websites on my laptop and so when i look for a distraction there's not one there right and slowly but surely i'm unhabitualizing typing in like control t to open a new tab and then bbc enter or tw enter which would go to twitter and so on i think i did it one time this week I was on the BBC News website and it took me about a minute before I even clocked. I was reading something about like flights leaving Afghanistan and I thought, shit, I'm on the news website. Like that's how deeply ingrained it was. But most other times I've caught myself and it honestly is crazy. Like I've probably saved this week and we're on Friday, like two hours of time, which doesn't sound like a lot, but that's two hours to either A, get deep work done or B, just leave the office earlier, right? Life isn't about living in an office. It's crazy. And so it was just an interesting case study, I think, of environment design, this idea that if you set your environment up for a certain outcome, that outcome becomes easier and more likely, right? It's the idea that if you want to lose weight, probably a terrible idea to have fucking cream cakes in your fridge, put some apples in there. That one seems really obvious. But when it comes to these kind of soft skills like focus and productivity, we don't always follow the rules in the right ways. And it turns out that until literally this week, I think I have been making a massive productivity mistake in that sense. So that is news to me. There we go. Sorry, got distracted there. (laughs) 
And then something else that I wanted to deep dive into this week on productivity, and it's something I've mentioned a couple of times, um, but it is just so, so fundamental to the way I work. And it is the reason why this week, for example, I can come into the office, work for four hours and then go and spend the afternoon with my mum and not have to worry about work. It's the reason why it wasn't a huge issue when yesterday going to that London gig, I could change my entire day and therefore my entire weekly schedule at the drop of a hat. And it is the idea of building a to-do list with a really high level of focus and intensity on what you're doing when, but then when that list is built, following it blindly. And it's this whole boss brain and worker brain thing that I spoke about. Um, I think it might've actually been Ali Abdul that I first learned this from. I said a couple of weeks ago, I couldn't credit it. Can't remember where it's from. I think it's Ali Abdul who spoke about this. So the idea is this, right? You need to split your brain into two entirely different personalities when it comes to productivity. You need a boss, somebody who manages, who understands priorities, who can move things around and see the bigger picture. And you need a worker, somebody who, by this definition in this case, just follows instructions, just gets the job done without questioning, without getting distracted, and is reliable and consistent. And you can trust that worker to get things done, right? So let's break it into these two because you need both, I think, for a good productivity system. So the boss brain is the one that understands everything that's going on in your life, right? When we build to-do lists, it's not just work. It's not just email Karen and write this letter. It's like, shit, I need to go and pick this thing up at 2 p.m. And then I need to be back to the office to do X, Y, Z things. And this email needs to go up before five. And then at half five, I have the dentist. So as the boss brain, you need to have a really thorough understanding of everything that's going on in your life. And also deadlines for when everything in both a work and a personal capacity is due. And with that information, which by the way, when I use the word brain, you don't literally need to store all that in your brain. It's very good to use a system like I use Bear on Mac and uh, iOS, like a note system, or we as a business use Asana, or even just using your inbox or whatever. But like, make sure that the boss brain has a really good understanding of everything that's going on in your life right now. And then once a day, at some point, I do it last thing at night, you want to switch that boss brain on. And with that understanding of the bigger picture, you want to build a to-do list for the next day that takes into consideration what needs to be done when, if you run a business or work with other people, who needs to do it if that comes into your life. I know that doesn't apply for everybody. And also what needs to go out when, right? So do you need to send this email by 2 p.m.? Do you need to make sure that this person has a certain asset to do the job that they need to do the next day? Based on all of those different prioritization factors, you need to then pull together a reasonably sized to-do list. And when I say reasonably sized, I mean something which is long enough to make sure that you're making good use of the day if you choose to work that day, but short enough so that it's actually realistic. So you're not teaching yourself to fail by leaving five things undone at the end of your to-do list each day, right? And so the boss brain does that. The boss brain is the boss. It creates a very rigid, a very clear set of instructions of what the worker brain will do the next day. And then you wake up the next day. If you choose to do this at night, you might do it in the morning, but whatever, let's roll with it. You wake up the next day, you get into the office, you walk over to your desk if you're working from home, whatever it might be. You go to the library to work on your dissertation. 
and you open your note-taking app, you open your to-do list, whatever you happen to use for that list that you just created, and then you're in the mode of the worker brain. And that worker brain's job is very simple. It needs to follow that to-do list to the letter in the exact order it was designed and just get it done, right? You, at that point, don't need to worry about the bigger picture of life. You don't need to worry about what's happening tomorrow or what happened yesterday, because in theory, you've worked that all out the night before. You've worked that all out when you were in that state of mind for looking at the bigger picture and strategizing and theorizing and planning so that when you have six, seven, eight hours a day to work, you can make sure that you're spending that time working A, actually on the right things, but B, in the right order. Because there's nothing worse than working for six or seven hours and then realizing, oh shit, there's that thing that needs to be with XYZ person today and I haven't got around to it yet, right? So of course there are curveballs. Yesterday's a good and bad example. It's a good example in as much as it scuppered my day. It's a bad example in as much as it was entirely my choice to accept that curveball. But the idea is that yes, there will be times where you need that boss brain to kick back in and replan things on the fly or fit something in that comes in or write off the day because something happens or whatever it might be. So I'm not saying don't ever think about the bigger picture whilst working. But once you have a to-do list and a system that you trust, that you just implicitly know you're always going to be working on the right thing at the right time on the right day, it's unbelievable how much less stressful work, whatever work is for you, becomes. Because there were a good few years where I'd literally rely on like a bit of Asana, a bit of my inbox, a bit of notes, a bit of memory and a bit of people prodding me for things that they needed that I'd forgot about to plan my day. And there are two things wrong with that. Number one is the more obvious one, which is that if you don't have a plan, you're never working on the right thing by definition, right? You're just hoping and praying. But number two, if you're always in that worker mode, if you never step back and really work out what is a priority for today what do i really need to get done this week what would it be nice to finish or accomplish this month and so on if you're never setting your priorities just think about this for a moment right you're still going to be working on something so if it's not you who's setting your priorities if it's not you who's deciding what you're doing today who is because you're still going to be working so it's somebody else maybe it's the client who emails you first that day shit, this person's emailed, I need to work on this now. Maybe it is the colleague who is the most annoying, the best at nagging you from across the office to say, I really need this thing from you. Or maybe it is that first error. Maybe you're just not working on the right thing. And in doing so, you always feel like you're chasing your tail. And then there's this kind of ambient stress that follows you around both in the office or in work, but also outside of work because you get home and you feel like I've just just been working for eight hours and I haven't achieved anything. And I feel like I've got more to do tomorrow than I did today and more the next day than this day. And it just, it, it compounds, right? So something that I think is massive and I've been working on it a lot this week and that's why I threw it in this week is worker brain and boss brain. So boss brain makes the plan, worker brain knows to trust the plan and just follows it. And then the third thing also happens to be related to productivity. There's no intentional theme here this week. It's just three things I wrote down. Um, is what happened on Tuesday and Wednesday, which was that I came into the office, worked for maybe four and a half hours and then left. 
and I got done exactly what I needed to get done. No plates were dropped. Nobody was left waiting. Nothing was half-assed. Everything was done. And there's kind of two points here. The first, which I'm not going to go into all that much, <coughs> is that productivity is way more about intensity than it is time spent, right? Like if you can get done in two hours or take somebody else eight hours, well, then you can get four times the amount done or you have six hours extra a day to do what you want. That one's obvious. I won't go into that. But the second one is this interesting debate about nine to five. I saw a tweet the other day, which I agree with more generally, which was something like essentially telling business owners to stop shitting on nine to five jobs on their Twitters by saying, oh, people who work nine to fives are fucking idiots because the people who will be reading those tweets are those business owners, employees who work nine to five, right? It's just this weird backwards kind of virtue signaling thing that some business owners do to be like, oh, look at me living the freedom life. Everyone else is a clown. And then those quote unquote clowns are your employees and it's just not good. So I agree with that. But there's something more interesting here, which is that I think the wider nine to five system is just a bit broken because if we are performance managing people by how many hours they spend sat at a desk, not how much they get done, not whether or not they're meeting their targets, not whether or not they're adding value to a business or to customers or to the internal team, whatever it might be, but just did you turn up and clock in by nine? Did you stay until at least five? That doesn't take into consideration intensity. That doesn't take into consideration focus. And also truthfully, it can be argued that fixed nine to five hours actually incentivize the wrong things because if it's 3 p.m. and you know that you leave work in two hours and the only thing that you need to do is stay in the office until five and you're going to be all right because you'll still get paid because you were there and everyone saw you and John across the room was like, yeah, he was definitely here till five. You're not going to start something that would take four hours at three o'clock if you know that you've only got two hours left in the office, right? And so you will drag out tasks which don't need to take as long. You won't start things. You will kind of sway your schedule around these weird arbitrary fixed hours which made sense in the industrial age a hundred years ago rather than getting done good work at a time in a place for a duration which suits you. And then I think that the conversation becomes a whole lot more interesting for business owners, yes, but also far more interestingly for employees, for people. If you can decide within reason when you work, how you work and from where, I think that it incentivizes the right things, which is, okay, look, I can only work four hours today. I'll be checking my emails for the other four hours, but in those four hours, I still need to get X, Y, Z things done. I will work in a really focused way, really intensely for those four hours to meet my actual important obligations. And then I'm going to go and see my mate who just got back from traveling and I'm going to be happy and I'm going to actually enjoy my life. And then tomorrow when I'm back at work, A, I'm going to get done what I need to get done, but B, I'm going to be happy and feel like I'm living life. I just think it opens up this whole new interesting conversation. And I think it's a movement that we can see beginning in certain industries, um, you know, nine to five isn't all that prevalent in say marketing, but there are many industries where it is where you're just expected to turn up to an office at a certain time, leave at a certain time. And that's kind of the the goalpost. Um, there's also some interesting things going on. I saw this week that Scotland are 
considering starting a trial of four-day work weeks where, um, again, you just do more intense work for a shorter period of time and then enjoy more of your time on this planet doing things you actually want to do, not getting any less work done, but just working for less. Because I think that's the interesting argument here, right? We can all be way more productive than we are at times because we all have those days where understandably and rightfully we just think i can't be fucked today you know maybe you've just had a baby and it's one year old and it cries and keeps you up at night and you get into the office and you're like you know what i need to stay here for eight hours but i don't have that much to do so i'm just going to kind of ride it out that's no good for anybody whereas the opposite i am very tired I'm going to get into the office at 12. I'm going to work for four hours, but I'm going to get done what I need to get done. Just a way more interesting conversation. So there's my there's my thoughts on that. Don't really know where that was going, but nonetheless, I think it's an important conversation that will be had more in the future. And so I'm just throwing my thoughts out there. I think that's it. I think that's all I have to cover. Apologies once again for this episode being late. The time is currently five to nine on Friday night. I'm going to edit this episode, get rid of the coughs and then upload it as quickly as possible. And hopefully next week's episode for the first time in three weeks will be on time. So I'll see you back here this time next week for episode number 89 of Life and Lessons. See you then. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips Tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.